I would tell you that the only way to do this right is for us as a church to not just have compassion programs, right? Because we've done compassion programs before. We've done things like City Reach in the past. We certainly have food distribution. You know, I can put you in an environment where you can go to, you know, somebody's house here in Irvindale, like many of you have before, and, and do some repairs to their house. I can, I can put you in environments where you can do compassionate things. We can hand out groceries. But in order for us to do this right, we can't just have compassion programs. We have to be a church that's full of compassionate people. And that's a big difference. It's not program-driven. It's Spirit of God-driven. It's having the priorities of God, you know, replace our priorities so that we can, we can love people the way he does. Like if you were to slow your life down and be intentional to have a personal value and a personal awareness for other people, I wonder, I wonder if, if on your simple errand to the grocery store, on your simple errand to the mall or whatever, if, if you would actually begin to maybe see people who were suffering, people who weren't just in the way, people who weren't just like making you late to where you had to go, but if you carried with you a personal value and awareness of others, God might actually show you that there are people around you who are suffering in incredible ways, and he may actually allow you to come alongside and alleviate the very suffering that they're feeling. Justice and compassion are dominant themes in God's mission. All throughout scripture, God defines compassion and demonstrates to us how compassion flows from his heart and how he has special concern for the vulnerable. He calls us to see every person as someone made in the very image of God. He calls us to show deep compassion towards those who are vulnerable and those who are in need. Uh, we are uh, continuing on in our teaching series, uh, Building the House. Uh, this has been a critical series, I think, for our church. Um, it's been at least a critical series for us as pastors to be able to lay out what we believe to be the building blocks uh, of, of the church we're, we're trying to build together uh, here in our community, the, the culture we're trying to create, the things that, that are to be unique about New Point and make New Point uh, what it is. And so um, you've heard me say this already, uh, but... You know, the, the topics that we have been teaching on over the last several weeks have, have really been what we, would, what we would describe as the materials or the bricks that, that we want to use to sort of build this house and build, build this, this culture. And so I, I tell you that because, you know, if you haven't been with us or you've missed some of the weeks, I just really encourage you to go online to our website. You can find our YouTube channel or our podcast on Apple and just get caught up. Um, there is no series that we would want you to get caught up on more probably than this one because it really lays out uh, the direction we're trying to, to lead this church in that we believe God wants us to lead this church into. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to lay another building block. I'm going to kind of try to lay another brick um, and and just uh, help you kind of see where we're headed as a church. And so if you're taking notes today, this is what that brick is. We want to be a church that is full of compassion. We want to be a church that is full of compassion. Now, this is something that you could, you could say is, 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 is uh, even true of us now to a degree. Uh, I, I think that there are a lot of compassionate things that we do as a church now um, but I believe that there is more. I believe there's more that God wants to lead us into, that there is more of an identity he wants us to take on as a compassionate church. Um, let me just tell you just, just about myself for a second as it pertains to compassion. You know, um, I, I want to be a man that is full of compassion. 
It's not just that I want a church that's full of compassion. Like, I want to be a man that is full of compassion. And I'll just be honest with you that over the years of pastoring, you, you know, you interact with all kinds of people, different backgrounds, different uh, life experiences and things. And it, it is common for pastors to become jaded uh, over the years because, you know, people just keep coming back to you for the, for the same things or you get the same types of people or you get the same person, you know, just saying, hey, can I, can I get some help? And there is, there is something that I, I learned early, early on that, that I, 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 need to, I need to make sure that I, that I protect my heart, that I, that I guard my heart against becoming jaded because I need to be in a position to be used by God to, to help bring compassion uh, to people at, at all times. And, and so uh, that's, just, that's just, you know, me. That's just sort of who I am. And, and, and I think that, you know, again, not to just talk about myself a lot here, but, but, but I, I really believe that God has, has allowed me to be able to protect that in, in my heart. And, and, and in some ways, it's allowed me to help lead our church in this direction, sort of take on this identity, and, um, because it really does matter to me. Uh, this is not something that's just like, hey, this is the next one on the list. It sounds good. We should probably talk about compassion. This is something that, 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 that matters an awful lot to me just as a human being, not just as a, as, as a pastor. But if we're going to do this well, if we're going to do this right, we probably need to know exactly what we're talking about. We probably should have uh, you know, a definition that we all uh, sort of embrace. And so let's just start by talking about what compassion is here. Let me define it for you. Compassion is the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another suffering and feel motivated to alleviate that suffering, to suffer together. Let's just read it again. The feeling that arises when you are confronted with another suffering and feel motivated to alleviate that suffering, to suffer together. So compassion is this idea that, you know, we see people who are suffering, we see people in pain, we see people going through, you know, difficult circumstances, and there is something that we feel that, that, uh, that is, is oftentimes initiated by the Spirit of God in us that, that gives us this, this feeling that we want to help take that, that pain away. We want to take that suffering away. How many of y'all know that there are times in people's lives where, where as much as you care, you just cannot solve all of the issue or the problem that they're facing? You know, even though you may desire to, uh, man, there can be global reasons. You know, this is a global issue. I can't fix the whole thing. Or there are people who, you know, it, it's just too much money. You don't have the resources to fix all of it. And that's why we don't just stop at, you know, alleviating suffering. Like, like as a Christian, we believe that, that even if we can't fix the whole thing, we're called to, like, suffer with people. We're called to sit with them in their suffering and to make sure that they aren't suffering alone. This is what it means to be, to really, in, in many ways, to, to like, live out uh, our, our Christian you know, life here in, in this world, to be Jesus with skin on, is to suffer with people, to alleviate the suffering of others. Now, you may, you may know this, you know, especially if you were here a number of weeks ago when I shared the vision message for our church, um, and some of you may not know this, but there is a huge part of our, um, of, our, of our annual budget here at the church that we call the Compassion Fund. This is where we take 10% of every dollar that comes in in a given year, and we use, we use all of it in its entirety to help alleviate the sufferings of other people. And, and it's, it's one of the things that I think uh, you should be most proud of. It's one of the things that I am most proud of, of for our church and our leadership that has you know, agreed that this is going to be who we are no, no matter what. There are many things we've been able to do over, over the last four years, at least while I've been the pastor, and we've given away nearly $200,000 during that time. I mean, it is unbelievable. If these dollars aren't used in-house, they're not to better Newpoint and, and better our name and our reputation. It is just 
no strings attached. We're going to bless people. We're going to serve them. We're going to compassionately come alongside and try to alleviate the suffering of these people. And so, you know, there, there are some that we have, um, we have had to come alongside and help them with repairs to their houses, to their vehicles. We have, we have helped people get caught up on their rent, on their mortgage. We've helped, uh, I think, a single mom one time who, who uh, went through a divorce that she didn't want and had lawyer fees, and, and we helped pay that off, you know, the end of it. And there's just been so many things. That, I mean, I, I could talk all day about the many things that our church has been able to do over the last several years, and, and it's, it's just exciting. This is who we are as a church. We want to be a church that's full of compassion, right? Full of compassion. Now, I want you to understand a little bit of my philosophy on compassion. It's important that you know that just because, you know, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here, you know, and, and my philosophy on compassion, it's going to trickle down. Uh, it's going to have some influence. Maybe not all influence, but it'll have some for sure. And, and, and so my philosophy on compassion might be different than yours, and it might be different than maybe what you've experienced in other churches. There are a lot of people who assume that they should be compassionate to the point that they're not taken advantage of. And that sounds good, right? It sounds, it sounds like, right, like I should be compassionate as long as I'm not taken advantage of. Listen, I, I don't just wake up in the morning and think, I'd love to be taken advantage of today. But when it comes to, you know, me personally determining whether or not I'm going to be compassionate towards someone in need, thinking about if I'm being taken advantage of is pretty low down on the list. My philosophy on this is, is I, I, I just do this. I, I, I think that, you know, Figuring out if I'm being taken advantage of is not my job. I really trust that to the Lord. And so I ask God, like literally, and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, but I, I, I do pray, even if it's momentarily. I just am like, hey God, like, like what do you want me to do here? This is the need, this is the presented need. Like what do you want me to do? Do you want me to say yes? Do you want me to, to uh, help this person or not? And, and most of the time, God says yes. He, he wants me uh, to, to get involved in helping alleviate the suffering of that individual. And um, early on in, in ministry, I, I remember um, sort, of, sort of struggling with that. You know, well, what if they take it and they go, they go you know, buy alcohol or whatever, you know, and, you know, you know the, the, the silly things we think about. And, um, and I, just, I just remember the Lord, the Lord saying, like, so, so what if you're being taken advantage of? It's like, so, so what? He goes, how do you know that, that, in, that in that gesture of helping them, even if they didn't need it and they're taking advantage of the situation, how do you know that they're, they're not experiencing like my love towards them through you? And so I've just always just sort of positioned myself that, that like I, I don't want to be like, like uh, you know, you know like, like silly or, or, or ridiculous with it where I'm giving away, you know, thousands of dollars and I don't care if you take advantage of me, but, but like, you know, somebody comes in, maybe $50, $100, a couple hundred bucks, like, I, you know what, like, I just want them to experience the love of Jesus, whether it's for the right motive or not, and, and it's not my job to figure out if I'm being taken advantage of. It's his, and I'm trying to be led by his spirit. That's how we try to operate here as a church uh, when it comes to compassion efforts and compassion relief. Um, this has been really the heart that, that I would say birthed the food distribution program here at our church. Um, if, you know, I shared this on Vision Sunday, but, you know, we've been able to, to give free groceries to, I don't know, 20, 25,000 people over the last year and a half. That's a lot for this church. And it's because we fully desire to be a church that's just full of compassion. Like, we, we just truly desire to do this. Like, this is, this is the heart. This is, I would say, like, this is, this is, I mean, the heartbeat of us. Like, we want to be a church that is full of compassion, that is willing to do uh, to do uh, just about anything for people who are suffering. Now, I would tell you that the only way to do this right, 
is for us as a church to not just have compassion programs, right? Because we've done compassion programs before. We've done things like City Reach in the past. We certainly have food distribution. You know, I can put you in an environment where you can go to, you know, somebody's house here in Irvindale, like many of you have before, and, and do some repairs to their house. I can, I can put you in environments where you can do compassionate things. We can hand out groceries. But in order for us to do this right, we can't just have compassion programs. We have to be a church that's full of compassionate people. And that's a big difference. It's not program-driven. It's Spirit of God-driven. It's having the priorities of God, you know, replace our priorities so that we can, we can love people the way he does. Micah 6, 8, famous scripture, many of you will know, but it says, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I think that if we're going to be a church that joins God in his mission, then we need to not only join him in sharing his gospel with people, but we need to join him in also doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. Are you here? Are you here with me today? Okay. So what I want to do this morning is just sort of give some examples as we get started of of why this is not happening maybe at the level that it should in the church. Give you some examples here here this morning. And um, and so here's an example maybe from the 1800s we're going to start with. Sometime in 1820, the third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson, he went to a bookshelf and he grabbed the King James Version of the Bible, and he had a pair of scissors and some tape. Some of you might know the story. And he felt deeply troubled by the religion of his day and felt that in some sense he could improve upon the Gospels. And so with the scissors and the tape, he cut out sections of the Gospels and pasted them together to to create really a new version of the Gospels that he called the life and the morals of Jesus of Nazareth. If If you read about this, you'll find Jefferson removed all miracles by Jesus, any mention of the supernatural, including sections of the Gospels that contained mention of the resurrection accounts, and he removed all of the passages that portrayed Jesus as divine. Jefferson said this, if you're taking notes, he says, I have performed this operation for my own use by cutting verse by verse out of the printed book and arranging the matter which is evidently his, talking about Jesus, and which is as easily distinguished as diamonds in a dunghill. The result is an octavo, which is like a, a uh, large you know, sheet of paper that's folded into eight sections to create a book. Uh, it, the result is an octavo of, of 46 pages of pure and sophisticated doctrines. So Jefferson was, what we find here is he was deeply disturbed by the picture of Jesus in his day. Uh, and, and perhaps even for good reason. You know, when you read about what it was like back then. And so what he does is with, with, he, he grabs some scissors and he begins to cut away at what he says are, is, is the, the dunghill of the Bible to reveal the diamonds of Jesus that he was able to discern. And this was commonly known as the Jefferson Bible. Some of you, so you may, may know about this. And, and so he, he, he takes the Gospels and, and there are things that he struggled with, things that, that was, he wasn't quite sure you know, he was, he was going to embrace. And the image of Jesus in his day, and he begins to cut out the pieces that he says, this is clearly great stuff, and he creates his own volume called The Life and the Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, let me just, let me just give Jefferson a break here for a second, uh, because some have defended Jefferson on this, and some have, have defended the intent 
that he had was merely to just collect the doctrines and the morals of Jesus into one single volume, so it was easy to read, you know, and you're not, you're not having to kind of pick it out as you go through the Gospels. Many have, some, or I should say some have, 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 have uh, defended that his intent was, was, was not sacrilegious in any way. It was just to, to create one single volume. Okay, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, even if that is true. Okay? How many of you would never think of doing something like this? Right? How many of you would say, you know what, I, I don't actually care what his intention was. You know, you don't cut and paste and remove anything ever from the Bible. It's just, it's just something that just, we're like, uh, are you sure you're supposed to be doing that? That's not, that's not all right. Okay? It makes us uncomfortable thinking about cutting pe- sections out of our Bible. Are, are you with me at least, right? Well, the truth is, that if you were to study the passages of, passages of Scripture that you read and that you are taught, you are probably guilty, as am I, of subconsciously cutting out sections of the Scriptures that you don't like, that you don't feel comfortable with, and then turning it into your own little promise book of the verses that you do like that make Jesus into the kind of person that you want him to be. And this is what we do all the time. Because... When we read the Gospels, we read Jesus' teachings. How many of y'all know there's a lot that he says that just makes us uncomfortable? Like, I don't, did he really say that? Like, I don't think, I, honestly, like, I, I, I'll, just, I'll just be real with you. Like, there are many times I read the Gospels, and I'm like, I sure wish that wasn't in there. I sure wish he wouldn't have said it that way. And what happens to us a lot of times is that we gravitate towards the teachings of Jesus that, that you know, we're comfortable with, the ones that we, we really like, or the ones that sort of support the, the sort of the, the position or the posture of how we want to live our life. And the ones that make us uncomfortable, the ones that we struggle with, we, we sort of avoid. We don't read them quite as often. And what we do is, is, is this, it's this idea uh, um, that many, many pastors and theologians have talked about where we, in fact, begin to create God in our own image. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, if you, he says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Anne Lamott says it like this. She says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Right? I think it was Voltaire, I think, who said, who said that uh, God created man in his own image, and since then, uh, man has been returning the favor, you know? Um, this, is where, this is where we, we create, uh, you know, a God that, that, that we're comfortable with. Because when it comes to, like, the, the full sweep of Jesus' teachings, there's plenty that, do, that we're not comfortable with. There's plenty that just it hurts to read, that just would cause us to have to radically reorient our lives if we were to follow him that way. And so I think the question this morning is, is, is this. The questions are, are like this. Like, who is Jesus? Like, really, who is he? Which Jesus then are you following, and whose disciple are you? That, that's, those are the questions. Like, who is Jesus? Which Jesus are you following? Because there's lots of different versions of Jesus in, in you know, secular culture. And then, whose disciple really are you? And the question is, have you ever, or perhaps now, created God in your own image? I think as we look at, you know, this, this modern, this secular moment, you know, I think that for many of us, it's hard to figure out how to actually follow Jesus in these crazy times. You ever, you ever just felt that? You ever felt the tension of like, how do I actually 
not just embrace the teachings of Jesus, but then like follow him. I mean, when you look at the news, when you look at the world, you look at like the climate of, of, of society that we're in, I mean, it, it is hard to figure out how to follow Jesus sometimes. And it's hard to figure out like what Jesus would actually say in our modern context. Because, you know, you go, man, like I, I, I appreciate the scriptures and I know that they're holy, but they don't, it's not apples to apples. Like what we're dealing with now, I don't see exact examples in scripture. And sometimes we just think like, how, how, do, we, how do we apply you know, what, what's going on there and, and bring it into the here and now. Does the Bible really speak to the major, major issues that we're wrestling with in our day? And, and, and so it creates tension in us, right? It, it just does. And, you know, if, if you're like me and you step back and you sort of survey the, the, the landscape of humanity right now, especially in the West, uh, you know, what we, what we see are enough tensions that make it very difficult for us as Christians to figure out how to actually follow Jesus successfully in the midst of it all. John Tyson talks about some, the contradictions of culture in his book, Beautiful Resistance. He talks about the, the contradictions that we just see in culture. And he's not, he's not trying to like take one side or the other, but he's trying to, in, in his book, to paint a picture of just how polarized society has become. That there are these, these contradictions that are happening in our day that make it very difficult for us to figure out how to truly follow Jesus in this current cultural moment. Look, look at what he says in, in, in this book, and, and it's, it's a long quote, but I want you to just to catch this. He says, we are seeing in this moment a rise in gay rights, and the rise of the alt-right at the same time. We have the first African-American president in our history, followed by the election of Donald Trump. We have the loss of religious liberties for bakers and pizza shop owners, and the election to the Supreme Court of a pro-religious liberty Supreme Court justice at the same time. There is the decline of the church and a rise of those who have no religious affiliation at all, along with the rise of megachurches and celebrity pastors. A pastor is told to step down because he is in his early 20s and he makes a move on a 17-year-old girl. Heartbreaking and tragic. At the same time, in Hollywood, Call Me By My Name is a film celebrating a relationship with an underage teenage boy and a man in his 20s. We have the Me Too movement rushing through our world. At the exact same moment, we have Fifty Shades of Grey picturing the domination of a woman that is the fastest and largest selling book amongst women of all time. We have the rise of hate speech and the defending of free speech. We have the normalizing and obsession with technology and a desire to get rid of it in our lives at the exact same time. And he says this, is there anybody who understands what is actually happening in our world? We live in a world that is incredibly polarized. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have felt the pull to one side or the other at many different times, probably over the last year and a half for sure. Like, which side are you going to land on? Who are you going to agree with? What, what, you know, what, what, what are you going to be about? I mean, this is what I would tell you. I believe that the polarizing of our society has been at the center of the decline that we see in compassion. It has been at the center of it. Because we've, we've, he, we've, we've sort of had to huddle up in our groups of people who think like us. We've had to huddle up in our virtual echo chambers and, 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 and you know, have, have uh, people who are, you know, on our side, think like us, you know, embrace and endorse our ideologies. And what it has done is it has highly, highly, highly contributed to the decline in compassion that we see in the church. And, and what happens is, is then we just start to show compassion to people who look like us, think like us, act like us. And the list goes, goes on. I wonder, do you feel these tensions in your own life? 
feels like we're just like kind of bouncing around from one side to the other every two years, every four years, every six years, whatever it is. There has to be a better response to our polarized culture than this. Parker Palmer says this. He says, the more we know about another story, the harder it is to hate or harm that person. The harder it is to hate or harm that person. Let's get back to Jesus. When people look at the person of Jesus and try to figure out how to become his disciple, how to really follow him, many people feel like they just can't get Jesus out of the dusty trails of Galilee into our modern context. Like, like, like I, I understand and appreciate what he did then and what he taught then, but like, how do I pull that Jesus into the here and now? How, how, how do I get him to, to uh, make sense of all of this? How is that Jesus going to sort out the mess that we're living in right now? I think that much of the sorting out of the mess that we see in our world comes from looking at the value and the compassion that Jesus seems to have for other people. I think that's how you figure it out. And I think that's how Jesus sorted it out. If you're taking notes, as a society, we have experienced a tragic loss of a personal value and awareness for other people. Like, we just, we just don't see people like we, like we used to or like we should. We just, we, just don't, we just don't see them. Like, like, if you were to slow your life down and be intentional to have a personal value and a personal awareness for other people, I wonder, I wonder if, if on your simple errand to the grocery store, on your simple errand to the mall or whatever, if, if you would actually begin to maybe see people who were suffering, people who weren't just in the way, people who weren't just like making you late to where you had to go, but if you carried with you a personal value and awareness of others, God might actually show you that there are people around you who are suffering in incredible ways, and he may actually allow you to come alongside and alleviate the very suffering that they're feeling. As a society, we have experienced the tragic loss of carrying a personal value and awareness for other people. A few years ago, I shared a, about a scientific study that I had read. It was, it was uh, from the sociology department at the University of Michigan, led by Dr. William Axon at the Population Study Center. And uh, the, the study uh, explained that college students today are approximately 40% less empathetic than college students from 20 to 30 years ago. 40% less empathetic today than 20 to 30 years ago. Now, that's, that's quite a drop. The biggest drop coming after the year 2000 once social media came onto the scene. We are a very connected world, aren't we? Very connected world. I mean, some of you, I mean, it's difficult to even like think back to what life was like before we were connected like this, you know? Like before the internet, before cell phones. Like, like think about life for a minute, like, like before we were so connected as as a society, I remember in high school, my dad had an 800 number, and it was, it was, a, it was, a spe, it was like a specific 800 number for our house. It was so that my brother and I, when we were out, we could go find a pay phone if we didn't have change in our pockets. We could, you remember these? We could just dial the 800 number, call home, and that's how, that's how we did it. That's how we bypassed having to have change in our pockets. I mean, it is like, I mean, who, 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 I mean, our kids would not even imagine something like that today, right? That's just not even... Not even something that, uh, that makes any sense. I say that because, you know, we used, to we used to live incredibly localized lives. 
I think about growing up and how, how localized my life was around, you know, my school, my friends. That was pretty much it. My family. Now we can have stronger connections to strangers we've hardly ever met than we do with people who are around us every single day. I find it quite strange that in a generation more connected to each other than ever, young adults find it increasingly difficult to feel compassion and empathy towards each other. We care 40% less than people did 20 years ago. That's, the, that's the, the reality of this study. Much of the reason for this is that they say is that we, we, are, we have become more upset, we are, that we are more obsessed with ourselves now than, than ever before. I talked about that a little bit last week with narcissism. The reason why we are less compassionate, less empathetic is we're more obsessed with ourselves now than ever. They say that the overwhelming exposure we have to suffering through social media and technology has desensitized us to it. And then having a lack of personal interaction just makes it easier for us to not care. Philippians chapter 2, verses 21, the Apostle Paul writes this, and he says, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Could there be a more culturally relevant verse for us to read right now at this point in our lives? Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Well, certainly we want to be people who look out for the interests of Jesus, right? But in order, in order to like do that and do, to do that well, we have to ask the question, like, what are Jesus' interests? Like, what is he interested in? What are the things that move his heart? What are the things that he is consumed with? What are the things that, like, that like we see Jesus just act towards, you know? And, and I would just tell you it's a very simple answer. It's people. People are the interests of Jesus. It motivated him to come to this world, to, to leave heaven and the luxury of heaven and the worship of heaven and to come as a man so he could seek and to save that which was lost. We see Jesus time and time again in the Gospels stepping into the pain and the suffering of people and trying to alleviate them out of that pain. People are the interest of Jesus. If you, if you read the scriptures, the full sweep from Genesis to Revelation, you know what you're going to find? Is that justice and compassion are dominant themes in God's mission. Justice and compassion are dominant themes in God's mission. All throughout Scripture, God defines compassion and demonstrates to us how compassion flows from his heart and how he has special concern for the vulnerable. He calls us to see every person as someone made in the very image of God. He calls us to show deep compassion towards those who are vulnerable and those who are in need. If you're taking notes this morning, this is what we feel strongly at this church. We can't be serious about joining God in his mission without talking about compassion. We cannot be serious about joining God in his mission without talking about compassion. Compassion is a theme that runs all throughout the scriptures. It is essential to the heart of God and his vision and purpose for this world that we live in. He is a compassionate God and desires that his people would be people of compassion as well. Now what I want to do, I already gave you a, a definition at the very beginning, but I want us to continue to sort of drill down and define it just a little bit better. It'll help us live this out and walk this out. We want to define it well so that we can understand it well. We want to define it well so we can live it well, right? So um, 
if you're taking notes, look at this. Compassion reflects God's character. 100%, it reflects God's character. This is not just something God is, or not something God does. This is something that God is. Time and time again, we see God introducing himself as someone who cares about and is defined by compassion. Look at Isaiah 58, 6 through 7. This is what the Lord says. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him? This is, this, is, this, is Jesus, this, is, this is God in Isaiah saying, this is, this is who I am. This is what I care about. Compassion reflects the character of God. We see this over and over and over again in the scriptures. Like, you want to get to know God? Understand that he is a God of compassion. He cares deeply for what you're facing. He cares deeply for those who are suffering. Again, as we continue to define this, you can write this down. Compassion is about the poor and the vulnerable. God, he stands in stark contrast with the world by defining himself as someone who is on the side of the poor and the vulnerable. This is who he is. He is on the side of the poor and the vulnerable. That is who your God is. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien I'm sorry, I don't know if I read that right. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. Compassion is about the poor and the vulnerable. This is who God is. And then as we look to the New Testament, we see, if you're taking notes, that Jesus was always concerned about the most vulnerable. This is like who he is. I mean, everything about his ministry, like this is what we see. Acts 4, we see the woman at the well, right? We see the story of Jesus interacting with this woman at the well while the disciples had gone in to get some food and, 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 and things that Jesus interacts with this woman who is Samaritan. And just to help you understand, like this was incredibly scandalous for Jesus to be interacting with this woman this way, he is always concerned about the most vulnerable people. We see him stepping in to protect the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. We see Jesus, I, I almost get the picture of Jesus sort of shielding her from the stones that are about to be thrown her way. And, you know, we've, we've seen, you know, you read in the scriptures about him beating to write in the sand, and you see the depiction and the passion of the Christ. It just makes you think, my goodness, like what, what is going on in this story? He is always concerned about the most vulnerable. We see him heal the lame, the blind, the crippled, he comes alongside the sinners and he forgives their sin. He comes alongside the people that no one else had value for and he begins to restore their value and call them his friends. In Jesus, we see a life that lived and taught to prioritize the vulnerable out of a heart of real compassion. Now, I'm trying to go through this as fast as possible, but... Uh, But I don't know. So the scriptures are full of examples and exhortations on living compassionate lives. And I think that oftentimes we have a desire for this. We think, man, like, like yeah. Like we respond to that. We think, I, I, I want to be a compassionate people. But the truth is that it can be very difficult for us to connect compassion to our daily lives. 
it can just be difficult. We, we, don't, we don't know how to like do that. Like, how do I begin to connect compassion to my daily life? Primarily, this is how we do it. We live with this deep, 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 deep conviction if you're taking notes that every person is made in the image of God. This is how you begin to connect compassion to your daily life is you begin to see people as immensely valuable because they are made in the image of God. It doesn't matter if they look like you. It doesn't matter if they talk like you. It doesn't matter if they believe like you. It doesn't matter if they love Jesus, don't love Jesus. It doesn't matter if their lifestyle is, is uh, you know, what you would perceive to be sinful or not. Every person is made in the image of God and therefore they are valuable. And when we connect to that reality, it allows us to begin to be compassionate to anybody no matter what. You have to begin to make an attempt to see people the way that God actually sees them. Sometimes we think that because somebody is my enemy, then that means they're, they're God's enemy too. And that's just, that's just not how it works. That, that's again part of our, our narcissism, reading ourselves into the, the, the story of God. We think that, well, because somebody wronged me, God must not like them. He's on my side. And we forget that every person is made in the image of God, was created by God, and that he is passionately trying to rescue every person who is breathing today. You have to see people as immensely valuable. People made in the image of Almighty God. You, you, listen, you just can't see people's value as image bearers of God, people who carry the Imago Dei, and see them as an enemy at the same time. You, you cannot do that. It does not work. Which is why it's really difficult and why we see the decline of compassion in what we would describe as a, as a very polarized society that we live in right now. Because you just, you just can't see people's value when you see them as your enemy. The first motivation and paradigm to help us live compassionate lives is to understand that every life has dignity no matter who they are, from the best to the worst, uh, the most likely to the least likely. Now, let me just tell you something. That it actually, this might actually like, shock you and mess with your theology a little bit, and that's okay. And, you know, it, it's, not, it's just a story I'm telling you, not one that was mine. Um, you all know, like, uh, you should, most of you should know the significance that my Uncle Rick had in my life. Um, I've shared about that time and time and time again. There's a story he told me one time, and it was back when uh, Saddam Hussein uh, had been captured, he'd been brought here, and then we sent him back to Baghdad, and he was going to be hung live. They were going to stream it live. And um, certainly don't condone anything he ever did, you know, uh, the harm and the atrocities. But my uncle talked to me about how there was this, um, this, this deep awareness he had that Saddam Hussein was, 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 was a man who was made in the image of God and that he, cared, he carried value. And you know, if we understand that people are going to live on into eternity, it should matter to us where they spend that eternity. And so he just, he just it happened, you know, it, you know time, time change, and so it was the middle of the night here, and he just interceded through the night that even in the last few moments that Saddam Hussein would have an encounter with the living God that would change his life, that he would not end up in hell, but he would end up in heaven. But God, listen, like, it doesn't matter the, be, the, the best or the worst. Like, we, I understand there are people who need to, need to pay for what they have done here in this life, but but we have to start seeing people not as our enemies, but as people who are made in the image of God, people who need to encounter the love of God, and that if they could do that, it would change every aspect of their life. When we see people this way, it, it keeps us from, from compartmentalizing and putting people over here and over there as people that we aren't going to engage with and aren't going to talk to and aren't going to alleviate their suffering. 
This is the basis of compassion that every person is made in the image of God. So then what happens is that the acts of compassion that we make towards other people can then be rooted in just us honoring the image of God that is in them. My parents, you've heard them talk about this when they've been here. You know, they're missionaries and they come and they talk about the difference between pre-loving and pre-judging. One of the most radical shifts that could take place in us that would really change you know, what it looks like for us to follow Jesus in the here and now is if we would begin to pre-love every person rather than allow prejudice to be in our hearts towards, towards people. Well, I mean, what, what would happen? What, what if you just, if, if this was the character of who you are to just pre-love every person because you're honoring the image of God that is in them? If you're taking notes, compassion is a foundational reality and paradigm that separates a Jesus oriented life from a secular life. Because a Jesus-oriented life sees people much, much differently. This is, this is where we see people as extremely valuable, where we, again, honor the image of God that is hardwired in them, into them by their creator. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal meaning they'll pass away, they die, right? They, they, they don't live on. And their life to us is that of a gnat. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. People live on. This is not the only life. It is not true that you only live once, right? We, we firmly believe you, you actually live twice, that human beings live on into eternity, and because of that, when we interact with human beings, there should be something in us that just honors that reality in them, that they're made in the image of God, and that they, they live on forever. And, and, and this is why we want to aim to see the image of God in all people. And because people live on into eternity forever, we should hold them in high, high value. One of the things my dad taught me when it came to offense and dealing with problems with people is he says this to me. He said, growing up, he said that if, if I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with them, he just felt some need and obligation to make sure he got things right with them here. He goes, if I'm going to be with them forever, I'm going to deal with things now. I'm going to have value for them now. I'm just going to take the last little bit. And again, I, I feel like I got the stage a little late today, so I'm just I'm blaming it on that. Um, <laughs> I want to just tell you for a moment about the scandalous compassion of Jesus. I mentioned to you earlier, but I believe, I believe that the scandalous compassion of Jesus is the way forward for the church. Think of how scandalous the compassion of Jesus really, really was. Again, the woman at the well, the woman caught in the act of adultery, the woman who washed the feet of Jesus with her tears and wiped them with her hair. I mean, this was a woman, you know, there's more than one account of that story in the Gospels, but um, uh, I think it was Luke's account that, that, that describes her, you know, as, as a woman that you don't really want to have that close to you. Think about the story that Jesus gave about the good Samaritan. 
Think about, think about every example we see in, in the New Testament and in the Gospels of Jesus just giving scandalous compassion to people that other people had, had sort of written off, other people wanted nothing to do. The people who lived on the fringes of society were the ones that Jesus brought near to him and called his friends. Think about the tax collector, Matthew, that, that Jesus invites into his inner circle to be one of his disciples. And I look at, I look at the story of Jesus and, 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 I, and I just see like, like all of these opportunities to justify not getting involved. Like I, I look at him and I'm like, yeah, like maybe, but maybe somebody else, maybe somebody else will do that. And I see Jesus refusing to have what we would, we would call understandable excuses to not get involved. Well, I just don't have enough time. It's not time. You know, I, like, like somebody else will do it. There's just not enough margin. Like I just can't today. I'm, 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 in, a, I'm in a hurry. I got to get from here to there. I also think that, that, that understandable excuses, I, I think we could probably say offense is one. Reason why we don't get involved. Sometimes, we, sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we think that because somebody is in the position that they're in, they, they did that to themselves, and if they would just work as hard as I have to get where I'm at, then they could be lifted out of their suffering. And I want you to understand, let me just say this, that is a wicked mindset. It's wicked not from God. We allow ourselves to be offended by the, by the position people are in their life. And, and, it, and it's what we, we, we would term as an understandable excuse for not getting involved. So I'm just not going to do too much. You know, they need to learn their lesson. If they, you know, if they learn their lesson, then, then, then they'll be able to be pulled out. And we think, you know, somewhere in the Bible, you know, right, we think, you know, um, uh, uh, that, that uh, you know, if you teach a man to fish, you know, you feed, them, you feed them for life. That is not in the Bible, by the way. No, it's not in the Bible. We're just going to keep feeding people. I don't care if they keep coming back. I don't care if it's the same people week after week after week. I'm just going to feed them. Jesus would feed them. So what we find as we look at Jesus in the New Testament is that compassion is, is, is highly inconvenient. Highly inconvenient. It almost always interrupts our plans. Almost always, do you see Jesus? You know, he's he's walking on the road, and, and you know, you know the, um, the 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 ten lepers. You know, the, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus isn't planning on intera- on you know you know being interrupted by them that day. And what does he do? He goes and he heals, he heals, and, and we see this time and time again where Jesus is interrupted by people who need compassion. It's not convenient. But what would, be, what would begin to happen in your life and mine if we just planned to show compassion to people? What if we just expected it? What if I just planned today? Today I'm gonna, be a compa- I'm gonna show compassion. What if I, I said this week I'm gonna be compassionate? This month, this year, I'm gonna be a life that's full of compassion. What if I, I actually positioned my life this way to where I wasn't being interrupted because I was expecting God to bring people into my life that I could show compassion to? I think you also see that compassion is costly. It certainly costs Jesus his reputation. I think, I think in some ways it could cost us our reputation. Like, why are you serving those people? Why are you, why are you helping them? Don't you know? Don't they, they need to know that they're, the way they're living is wrong. And then, then sure, then we, can, then we can help them. No, 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 no. That's just not how... It works, it's not how, what the Bible teaches. Our attitude should be this, that even if it costs me, I will care about the things that, that God cares about. 
You think about the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan took two silver coins equal to about two, two days of wages and pays for this Jewish man who was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road, pays for him to stay in a hotel after he had already bandaged him up and cared for him more than anyone else. After the priest and the Levite had walked on by, had seen this man left for dead and decided that was too messy for them, so they were gonna cross over to the other side of the road and pretend like they never saw him. This Samaritan, which this is massively scandalous, by the way. Do you understand that the, 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 the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was one of, of uh, I mean, you think about racial tension today, it's nothing compared to what happened back then. You know that when Israel was, was divided into two nations, that the northern kingdom eventually was conquered by Assyria, the Assyrian king decided the best way to ensure that the, that the Jews from the northern kingdom didn't rise up and try to you know, pose a military threat against them was to bring in foreigners from other nations and have them intermarry with these Jews so they would become you know, really somewhat confused. They'd serve multiple gods. They'd have multiple ideologies. So over time, you know, there was no pure-blooded Jew left any longer in the, in, in the, in the north. And those in the south, where Jerusalem was, they, they just wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. They, 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 they were disgusted by them. And in the story Jesus gives, he says that the one who stops to help the Jewish man who is beaten and left for dead on the road is the Samaritan man. This would have been incredibly scandalous for the people who were there to hear this. The Samaritan, he didn't just drop him off at the hotel. He said he'd return and reimburse the innkeeper for any additional expenses that he incurred. He didn't just say, I did my part, now you take care of him. Like It was a costly investment. And then what we see in the life of Jesus is that compassion ultimately changes lives. Look at Jesus, like follow his trail throughout the Gospels as he's interrupted time and time and time and time again. Watch as he gives, watch as he heals blind eyes, watch as he forgives, watch as he spends time with those people that were so dirty in society that no one else would touch them, no one else would interact with them. Watch as he cares for those who others didn't care for at all, who wanted nothing to do with them. Watch as he has time for children and as he has, he has compassion for widows. Watch as she shows very real, sincere love to prostitutes and tax collectors. And watch as he shows the compassion of God and shows compassion to people who are in need. He felt so deeply that he was compelled to act. And that is because true compassion changes lives. And this is why, you know, I, I talked about this in uh, the vision message I gave at the beginning of, uh, I think, September I talked about a new effort that, that our elders wanted to bring to our church that we were going to call Passion Projects. And this is where, as, as leadership, we had just decided that, that uh, man, there are, there are programs we can have here and we're going to continue it to have that can help you sort of do some, some, some things in our community and touch people's lives. But we began to wonder, like, what is it that exists in your heart? What is it that, like, God is doing in you right now? What are the injustices that you feel that keep you up at night? And what if we could just release you and give you permission to do those things? And so we, we've launched what's called Passion Projects. And you can go to this website right now. Um, I, you should do it maybe in a little bit. But uh, newpointchurch.com slash passion 
dash projects, and you can take a picture of that, and it explains all about what this is. And what we've done is we've taken our compassion fund, and we have taken dollars in our compassion fund, and we've set them aside to really just be able to fund the passions that exist in your heart, the passions that God is putting in you. And, and we want to just, we want to enable you. We want to mobilize you. We want to empower you to be Jesus with skin on in this world. And so you, I want you to read through this. There's, a, there's some criteria. There's some examples of what this could look like. You know, we're not just going to, uh, you know, like, like it's going it, <laughs> to, we're not just going to like, um, probably fund like an animal rescue, you know, or something, you know, like it's going to, we're going to help people who have souls, you know, so, um, but, but there are, there are certain things, I don't even care, I don't even care if that offended you, by the way, it's, it's true, it's super true, okay, so, so here's the deal, I mean, like there are some criteria, there's some things, but like ask God, like birth something in me, oh God, like, like put passion in my heart and go after this, And I want, you, I want to just tell you, before you even begin to like look at this, apply for this, try to engage us on this, you got to understand that compassion is incredibly messy. Compassion is messy because you are dealing with people, and people aren't a formula. They are not an ideology. They are not a theology. They are not an issue. They are people. And people are really complicated. People are broken. People don't move and act in the ways that we want them to. And so that's why compassion is always a mess. It doesn't always fit into your budget. It won't make an appointment for when you have time. It will not order itself nicely. It's just going to make a mess. And you're left to decide what are you going to do about it. But this is exactly what our world needs today. I'm going to skip over a couple notes there just so the guys in the computer know um, look at this thought with me. If we're going to be legitimate followers of Jesus, we're going to have to embrace the things that Jesus embraced. If we're going to be legitimate followers of Jesus, then we are going to have to embrace the things that Jesus embraced. The question is, which Jesus are we following? Which version of Jesus are we following? Whose disciple are we? Are we following Jesus as he wades into the brokenness of humanity? or not, because this is what Jesus does. I'm getting ready uh, to close. I'm just going to pass on you guys today, um, and everybody said amen. Um, uh, look at this with me. John Tyson says this. He says, uh, to take Jesus seriously. Now, that's some language maybe some of you have heard. Pastor Josh uses this language a lot with our teenagers take Jesus seriously. That's part of the mission of our youth ministry, to help our students take Jesus seriously. Tyson says this, he says, to take Jesus seriously is to take on the scandal, the offense, the shock, the disdain, the curiosity, and the wonder of the compassion of Jesus Christ. To take Jesus seriously is to take on the scandal, the offense, the shock, the disdain, the curiosity, and the wonder of the compassion of Jesus Christ. Would you just stand with me this morning? As we go ahead and close. Kate and Emily have been out. Uh, you know, they obviously lead our children's program, and, and they've been out this past week with the uh, loss of their father. So I think their, their first day back, I, I felt like letting them run a little long today. So... Um, 
Here's the question. Here's the question you gotta ask. Can I be someone who will care about the things that God cares about? Can I be somebody who will care about the things that God cares about? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? No music this morning. No music to just kind of get our emotions going. No, 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 no music to try to sort of manipulate the outcome of this right here. But if you just are somebody and your heart is touched by God today, then you would just say, I, I need God to rearrange the priorities of my heart so that I can begin to see people the way he does. As your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, could I just see your hand here this morning? You're saying, I want to be a man, I want to be a woman that is full of compassion. I, want to be a, I, need to be, I need to be a man or a woman who is full of compassion, who sees people the way God sees them. There's virtually every hand in this room right now. Father, I pray that you would just come. Father, I pray that you would just come and you would begin to just touch our hearts in radical ways. Give us eyes to see people the way you do. God, I pray that we would, we would, we, we, we would refuse to live lives, lives that, are, that are so fast-paced that we have no time to notice. God, I pray that we would refuse to live lives in such a way that, that, uh, that we don't even have, we have, we, have, we have no money and we have no time to get involved in the things that you uh, are, are, are so passionate about. Lord, would you begin to rise up in this church, uh, in, in this new day and in this new season, a, a clear culture of a church that's full of compassion because we have people who are full of compassion who come to this church, God. I pray that the things that are on your heart, the things that are on your mind, the value that you have for people would be what we would have for them as well. And Lord, I, I just ask for, for, uh, for forgiveness, oh God. God, for, 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 for where we have had offense in our hearts towards people that has re caused us to refuse to get involved when maybe we, we, we should have or given us an excuse to, to not when we, when we should have, oh God. And I pray, Lord, that you would, just, you would just forgive us for those times of inaction and I'm asking God for you to rise up in us in this new day, just something brand new, something we haven't felt before, just eyes to see the people the way you see them, hearts to love them the way you do. And, uh, and so God, give us, give us a church that is full, full of compassion. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen and amen.